Welcome to the Daniel Energy Partners In Basin Observations podcast. I am very blessed today to be here with uh, live from the Fletcher Azul podcast studio with my partner Bob Stanton, and we have a special guest on today, Patrick Finney from Chesapeake. He's VP of Completions at Chesapeake, and uh, wanted to bring him on. Really, uh, as many of you know, we wrote about uh, Electric Frack, a tour we did with you, Patrick. Um, nice a couple of weeks ago and really just wanted to kind of bring you in and kind of not only recap the note and recap what some of the things we, we talked about, but also talk a little bit about Chesapeake today. So really appreciate you coming in today. And um, maybe to start, um, well, give us a little background on you and where you've been before you got to Chesapeake, kind of how long you've been at Chesapeake, and then we'll go from there. Okay, perfect. Thank you for having me. Uh, a little bit of background um, from Lafayette, Louisiana, graduated Raging Cajun and uh, petroleum engineer, ended up moving uh, to a company called Stokes and Spieler, did a ton of field work as a well site consultant engineer, uh, drilling, uh, completions, was very fortunate enough to end up moving to Anadarko Petroleum uh, and moved to Houston for about four years, uh, was blessed to be able to, uh, to learn land hacking. Uh, with that organization in Carthage and Haynesville. And then my last year over there was spent in uh, working with uh, the Midland Basin. Uh, from there, I ended up moving to Chesapeake and I've been there for now uh, eight years this September and thoroughly enjoy working uh, in Oklahoma and living there and raising a great family. And uh, it's been really awesome career and uh, glad to be here again. Yeah, oh good. Um, so I was uh, lucky enough to get to go with you out to Pennsylvania and um, I guess the first question I'm going to ask you for the benefit of the audience, why electric frack? Like, yeah. why, w- w- what, what led you down that road? Maybe talk to us a little bit about why E-Fleets. Yeah, great question. Um, most importantly, when you start thinking about Northeast Basin, um, you've got a ton of super clean, dry, high-pressure gas. And when you start looking around at how can you be more efficient, burn less diesel, it automatically leans you towards the direction of an E-Fleet. With that being uh, said, how we got there was we ended up renegotiating a major contract shift and going to Halliburton across the board for all five basins at Chesapeake. Uh, And in that wish list, we we wanted uh, somebody with the ability to service five basins and the ability to have E-Fleet. Through that process, Halliburton stood out um, with the ability to uh, meet the pricing demand, the service quality, as well as the ability to provide an e-fleet. At the same time, that's when the Volta grid system was kind of being birthed uh, as a solution for that e-fleet. Uh, prior to that, we did a lot of research to understand e-fleets, and and some great companies out there were for, you know we were blessed enough for them to let us go tour the fleets. However, in Northeast Pennsylvania, the roads are super difficult and uh, to get uh, large equipment up. The Volta Grid seemed to be a solution as they were birthing that company uh, as shorter trucks and ability to be mobile and positioned in different situations. The ability to turn off and turn on much easier, faster, uh, more efficient type uh, in our in our mindset and, and engineering side. Um, so we ended up partnering up with Halliburton, which was also partnering with Volta Grid. Um, that, that fleet started in July of uh, 2021 and uh, has really, really um, exceeded our expectations in the last month and a half. Got it. Well, you know, I, I guess it sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but you you 
have actually gone on to an, uh, uh, an arrangement with Halliburton. Are they doing all of your completion work? Is that part of the, the program here? That is correct. Okay, great. Uh, that, that's good to know. Uh, and I think as you and I talked when we were in Pennsylvania, there's some, there's some advantages to actually partnering with some of your service providers versus just going spot work. And I'm sure you're giving them some visibility, which is always great for an oil field service company. It is. Uh, what we've found to be the, the best is open, transparent, and we do 18-month schedules. So they know 18 months in advance of every operation across Basin. Um, we bend over backwards. They bend over backwards to service each other as far as, you know, hey, we're, we're okay with not getting the same fleet over and over again. Um, we have to be flexible as if you don't have a full-time crew like South Texas or Brazos Valley. Um, that mindset really helps them be able to be profitable as well and go service other uh, EMPs at the same time as taking care of us and our schedule. Got it. Uh, and then talk to us a little bit, how does it lower emissions? Like tell, t- talk to us a little bit about the emissions with the E-Fleet and how does it actually lower emissions? Yeah, yeah. So um, a real simple way to think of it is anytime you're displacing diesel um, to burn your field natural gas, you are, um, you are improving your ESG because it's a combustion uh, type of, of engine. However, the natural gas is as well. But when you look at greenhouse gas emissions, it is a true differential on the impact side. Um, To give you an example, the E-Fleet that we're currently using is going to displace 4.4 thousand barrels or thousand uh, gallons of fuel. for Million. Million, sorry, million. Uh, Let me repeat that. So (laughs) 4.4 million gallons, because it's in gallons, uh, per year for that that E-Fleet to run uh, for one solid year in Northeast. If you were to look at, um, we currently have scheduled a tier four dual fuel fleet in Haynesville that will start in September. That will displace 1.6 million uh, gallons of diesel fuel. And if you under, if you if you do some research, the new uh, tier four diesel fuels burn about 65% efficiency. So that means they're displacing 65% of that diesel burn. So you still have 35% of diesel that has to be out there. When you start thinking about that, you now have to have a company come out, have service, have the fueling consistently coming out to take care of that diesel um, compared to looking at a full electric fleet. You remove that service, you remove that cost, you remove that that potential spill of a diesel on location, um, et cetera, et cetera. So anytime you can remove people uh, and service off of a location, you are, you're, you're more impactful. And one of the things I thought was amazing when we were on location, um, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna digress here a little bit, but as we got out of the car, there were a couple of things I immediately noticed. And number yeah. one is you and I could have a conversation while these guys were pumping at 90 to 100 barrels a minute. Yes. And we had no earplugs in and you could hear perfectly, you and I were having a normal conversation like we're, we're talking here today. So yeah. to me, it's amazingly quiet. There's very, very little diesel smoke in the air and so there's you know that side of the equation as well yeah. um you know no, I, no diesel smoke in the air right yeah no it, it, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. no smoke at all zero smoke um so you know i thought i thought that was amazing but i was fortunate just this past week uh this is a great example of how yeah. quiet this fleet is uh, i was out in midland on location at a job a normal kind of tier four equipment pumping at 100 barrels a minute and we were 150 yards away uh doing a safety briefing and i couldn't hear the guy talking 
and I had no earplugs in. And so I thought about our conversation as we stood next to the, Sean, the well deaf, site. Uh, well, that's true. I, don't, I have a hard time hearing anyway. I've done too much <laughs> shooting without earplugs. So, um, but no, I mean, that, it is amazingly quiet. So I, I, I think that's the other thing that I would drive home to folks is how quiet the fleet mm-hmm. is. And then one, one thing that came to my mind as, as, as you were talking about the, you know, field gas, you're using field gas. It's great. What if you don't have field gas? What do you do? Yeah, so the simple solution is uh, compressed natural gas. Um, our second pad actually uh, did not have the field gas because it was a brand new pad that was built, so the riser system wasn't there. Um, fleet did really, really well off the compressed natural gas. Um, you know, it's it's like anything, understanding, preparing, having the partnership that's going to work with you to supply that. Um, we don't have that many. I'd say probably three pads a year will probably have that situation but what it does is it provides you with a comfort to know that if we wanted to take that fleet to south texas and run compressed natural gas it's easily done the fleet is super mobile to go to any asset regardless if you have that clean dry um high pressure gas got it Um, so it's really super flexible we're super happy with that and uh and look forward to possibly another fleet in the future got it bob i don't want to hog all the time you want to pop Uh, in here and ask some questions I do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you talked about the the frack fleet. What other equipment uh, on location can be run from the... Yeah, so anything, uh, you know, when you start looking at um, just simple light plants, um, LED LED, uh, light plants, uh, pretty amazing. We've got some of those out there on location for that crew. Um, And when you start really dialing into it, when you think about the power of, of electric is that you do now do not have a diesel engine on that system or any engine at no. all. So it's lightweight, it's smaller, it's compact, it's easier. Um, it's, it, and then you transition into the E-fleet itself. And when you think about efficiency and the ability to pump more hours is you do not have a transmission. You do not have um, an engine, right? So the PMs on those that equipment that would normally happen in a cycle of, mm-hmm. of stimulating a pad, those, those go away. So when you immediately remove that maintenance out of the system, your ability to pump more hours per day instantly go up. Um, the crew's been out there, again, for about a month and a half. We're on third pad. And last pad, we set a record for for um for chesapeake in the basin we pumped just a hair under 10 million pounds in a 24-hour period and we pumped 18.6 hours a day and if you put that in reference with the with the tier two fleet we had as as this fleet was being built we were pumping on average about 14 hours a day and now we're hitting 16 to 18 over 18 within a month and a half of of using this uh, uh technology and equipment you touched on the car over here about the difference between having a turbine and being able to use, you know, the gas and yeah, can you just kind of explain for our audience some yeah. of the stuff that you mentioned and <clears throat> absolutely, um, what what we understand about the turbine is turbines they're great they have a ton of power output right so in anywhere thirty five megawatts that thirty five megawatts is being delivered continuously all day every day when that turbine is running um, turbines are great for additional all that power however you have to ask yourself do you specifically need 35 megawatts when your fleet your pumping horsepower only requires 22 to 25 megawatts of Mm -hmm. power 
So when you start thinking about the ability of these new cat engines, the ability for them to shut down. Uh, so say we have 10 on location, we'll shut down in between stages when we're you know switching wellheads. Mm -hmm. We'll switch down, we'll shut down uh, eight and just run two of them because we still have things that are being powered. We've got right. the e-winch that's being powered. Um, you've got um, the, the trailers that are out there that are being powered. You've got the company man trailers being powered, the light plants that are being powered everything that's electric auxiliary. blender electric blender mm -hmm. um everything that's out there is being it's being powered by this generation system and it, it's it's just amazing it's quiet it's it's super smooth um you can turn pumps on and turn pumps off you can see that the power automatically will be distributed to the other systems to make up for the rate um the the ability to pump at high pressure low speed is literally amazing because mm -hmm. it's an electric system so instant torque is can be applied compared to having a transmission that will limit what you can do as far as rate because it'll kick out if it starts over pressuring is it possible to use grid power and on the other side of that um eventually we'd be able to push power to the grid it is we've not done it yet but um through a lot of conversation and and uh, other EMPs have pulled grid power to substitute. Um, so if you can get five megawatts off of a power line, then that's five megawatts you're not buying um, from the um, the genset side, right? So it's just less that you're buying through that that hourly charge. So with that being said, you can also push power back to the grid. Um, we are currently looking at uh, a solution for this. Um, uh, possibly in the Haynesville, um, where there is a, a more consolidated grid system, high voltage. Mm. Um, northeast, we're looking at it. We're having conversations about how do we work through that uh, to be able to provide e-compression uh, and really make a difference as far as an ESG, uh, very you know quieter, simple. Um, it just takes time, right? It's I think the technology is there. It's just the component of the value side and how do we consistently work on that value and the differential between electricity and, and the cost of electricity versus the cost of natural gas. Um, and it's just going to take some time for our industry to kind of figure that out to, to start getting to high horsepower displacement on uh, e-compression as well. And then let's talk a little bit. So we, we've talked about you could use the power grid. You chose VoltaGrid. Uh, in, in the Northeast, mm -hmm. talk a little about why Voltagrid. How did you how did you get there? Yeah. On, on that front. Yeah, if we uh, if we were in an area that had power uh, grid power, we would definitely use it and substitute. However, whenever you are pumping at a hundred barrels at ten thousand pounds, a small town could be ran off the be, power yeah. the twenty five megawatts output, yeah. the yeah. twenty five megawatts right. And you really are like, well, man, how much gas are you burning? It's actually it's actually much lower than I actually anticipated. Typically, we're burning about 2.4 to 3.2 uh, million MCF a day. Okay, so very small amount of gas that's being burnt hmm. for that much electricity that's being output oh, yeah. and consumed. Why Voltagrid? Um, I would say there's not a distinct reason why Volt we didn't we didn't specifically choose Voltagrid. Um, when we started talking to Halliburton a year ago or, or a year and a half ago about a full swing over to Halliburton for scale and size, um, that need of, of having the ability to have an E-Fleet. When we sat down with them, they showed us their E-Fleet, their pumps, and it was like, hey, we are working on a solution for 
um, for uh, electricity generation and just give us some more time. So fast forward a couple months, they're like, okay, we've got the solution. It's a company, it's called VoltaGrid. Um, generally, here's how it's gonna work. We met with the CEO of VoltaGrid, their engineering team. Mm-hmm. Um, we believed them, we trust them. We trust Halliburton to say, hey, this is the future, this is gonna work. Um, at that point is when we started moving forward with the contract and uh, and really, it could not have gone any better. Super open conversation, communication, you know, nobody's hiding anything. Yeah. Expectations were met uh, for all three sides and uh, we've been truly happy. Just off the off the, the outline for a second, I mean, were you skeptical as a traditional oil and gas engineer that's been in the field, that's been around all these pressure pump, all this pressure frack equipment? Yeah, Are you I, skeptical of I, all the promises that were made, and I wasn't. Um, again, fortunate enough about two, you know two and a half years ago to spend some time with some with some great companies, some service providers that have been pumping uh, with electrical uh, pumps. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the ability for you know regardless of whose pumps they are, mm-hmm. you can do it. Right. Right. At the at the time though, the availability of a full time dedicated crew. Um, and then you go back to the conversation about the turbine, and I'm not yeah. downgrading turbines. They're, they just did not work for the Northeast due to location, size, and turns, and radiuses, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the solution and the ability to use this brand-new crew with a brand-new technology on the genset side mm-hmm. uh, is what got us really, truly over the hump. And, and really, like anything, knowing all the leadership of all these companies and yeah. trusting them all, and, and really the availability and the timing was just really perfect. And at the end of the day, you know, we were going through bankruptcy at the time when we signed this deal. Um, it was really, it's yeah. really impressive for somebody to reach their hand out and say, hey, we're gonna help you through this and we believe in your company and know that when you come out on the other side, you're gonna be super healthy. Uh, and we're gonna we're still gonna deploy yeah. this technology with you. And one of the things I think that we I talked about this earlier uh, in the show was obviously no no diesel smoke right. and really quiet. The other thing I think is the footprint. I was a little surprised yeah. how small the footprint is. Yep. On location, uh, you don't have in, in Halliburton's case the tractors to the tractor trailers are not actually connected to the trailers. They can actually take those off. They don't need them to run. Yes. Uh, and then the other thing is just the configuration of VoltaGrid system, right? You can stack those gen sets any, any way almost want. any way you want. Around. I thought that was really interesting. One of the VoltaGrid guys on location that was talking to us was talking yeah. about how they can stack the gen set. I mean, to me, that's that's a big deal. Like, I mean, because not everyone has the same size pad, and especially in the Northeast, you know, I had not been to a uh, Marcellus pad, right? Uh, and, and if you haven't been, you should go. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is, is there's got to be uh, this has got to be great for applications where the pad size got to be a little bit smaller as well. So it's not just about quiet. It is and 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 displacing diesel, but also kind of pad size matters. So um, that and, that's another point I would make. And that was a pretty large pad that you saw. Um, and just reference. Because of the, the you know the the current Halliburton pumps that we're using Zeus two, they are five thousand horsepower um, per trailer, and there and, were eight on location. And correct, eight on location compared to our conventional fleet, we have sixteen to eighteen. Eighteen. Right? Yep. Dang. So it's a thirty five percent reduction in the Halliburton 
inflate size. Just the pad for and that And then you alone. throw in the E-winch, which is literally um, a small gooseneck trailer with a <laughs> winch mounted. Um, the, the winch itself now has a remote to it, so you can control it from the van, uh, the data van, but now you can actually control it with a remote. So um, me and Sean actually saw the, engine, the guy talking to him. We were talking, he's like, man, I would never go back to anything else. He's literally standing out there and his eyes are looking at the crane operator so now the the ability to not drop tools because you're you're right. off target as far as picking up and letting out um that ability and that communication and standing out there is a much safer much faster efficient method of running the e-fleet well and i thought the other thing that was interesting and in how talked about this a little bit but combining um the the used to be a wireline truck and a guy sitting in a truck right and then the guys in the data van running frack, right? And now they're all under one roof. So the E-winch is aligned. These guys kind of put it all under un, under one roof. And I thought that was – it was amazing well. But I it the if you haven't seen the E-winch, it is absolutely – it really is like a, a small trailer with an unbelievable winch on it. Yeah. And, no and, diesel. And no diesel. And uh, the, the footprint there relative. And I don't know the exact numbers. I'm not going to talk about the exact numbers. I probably do know them. I shouldn't say that. But um, <laughs> an e-winch is significantly less expensive That's than right. a wireline truck. So I think advantage to Halliburton there. But, um, it is. you know, let's, let's kind of move on here. So maybe talk to us a little bit about – as you went, uh, what were some of the hurdles early on with the E-Fleet? I mean, were the, I mean, Bob yeah. asked you the question, were you skeptical? Yeah. But what were some of the hurdles you guys faced early on maybe yeah, sure. with going to this E-Fleet? I would say, you know, so generally, you know, on the skepticism side, the it's not just the completions. It's not just the operations of get, of actually pumping and, and achieving that. Um, the, the thing that probably took a, a lot of engineering and understanding and time uh, and walking through the process was actually the gas supply right mm-hmm. from the pipeline all the way to the gensets yeah that was probably the biggest focus point for from a Chesapeake standard right because Volta Grid and Halliburton they're doing their thing right we're we're asking for data so that way we can be um, we provide the exact spec, the exact pressure, the rate, the you know everything yeah. to make sure that this thing all works together. So that part fell on Chesapeake. Um, with that being said, um, Williams uh, is our gas partner up mm-hmm. there as well, and uh, the leadership over there was tremendous, tremendously helpful. We called them and said, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this." They're like, "Hey, we're all in. We'll support you." Hmm. Um, so they they really lended a, a helping hand to make sure that the meter system that we were using was you know not restrictive the ability for us to to basically do it ourselves was there uh and that was a huge um kind of internal uh concept that may have been a difficult one and and really we're super impressed with the way they handled it and then our engineering engineering team worked um a ton of time and 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 fearlessly through how do we make sure this works and uh the ability for Voltagrid and Halliburton to go to the field and sit down with our field team and walk them through the details is what truly got the production team to say, we know we can do this. Mm-hmm. We may have yeah. some hurdles, but we, we have line of sight. And ultimately, once that was done, that was the, the, the ability for Chesapeake to say, we're signing up. It's a done deal. 
right because everything checks out we believe you we understand it our part's done uh, and then the hard work started from there on our end and uh, our team in the northeast did a fantastic job oklahoma city engineering staff they all work together and uh it's worked it's worked super well so sounds like to me this is an ongoing relationship with halliburton yeah um it it obviously seems to be going pretty well do you think there's another fleet in sight for you in terms of electric i do um i think it's very possible um there's there's a lot of e-fleets that are starting to come out not just halliburton um so it's interesting to see how how will it differ from halliburton um what will be the power solution um i think that other ENPs that are, I'm sorry, other service providers that have been doing eFleet for, for quite some time, uh, and even people that started it. Well, there's really only, it's evolution in U.S. well, correct? Right. I believe that they are going to see the value and already have, or they already see the value and ability for the customer to bring their own power solution to it where they're providing the eFleet side of it, right? Got and it. I, I see that morphing very rapidly, especially as as there's uh, more solutions to, to do what we're doing right now, with uh, whether it's similar to Volta Grid or something different. but yeah. So one of the things I remember, I think, from the first location um, from the Volta Grid side, just going back to some of the stats, right? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about stats. Volta Grid, I think, moved their power gen set, I think, in less than 10 hours is right. my understanding. From pad to pad. From pad to pad. That's correct. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, can you talk about any of the other stats from that first location and maybe the MOBE, the DMOBE, the MOBE? Yeah. I mean, it, it, those are always questions that people come up with. You know, it sounds like this thing is operating very efficient. You, you seem to be very happy with yep. the operation and the efficiencies. But maybe is there anything else you can add from a stats side that, that you can, can share with us today? I can. Uh, so we've moved. Uh, so the first time we moved was right before 4th of July. So take that out because we're fracking with two other crews so we really gave them a lot of time to really be meticulous and get it set up test run through it because in northeast pennsylvania you can't move during holiday season it's like a four or five day block nice. um so that was our first initial startup um and to be a hundred percent transparent as far as um to think that you can get all brand new equipment and drive it from houston to Pennsylvania and start it up and everything's going to run immediately. Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some uh, some small issues, and 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 the team did very well. I think we had a little bit of uh, wiring issues here and there, some software updates. Um, perhaps if you if you had to ball it into you know a concise understanding, I'd say the first two days of all this equipment uh, coming together on location, um, I, we probably pumped four or five stages and then it was like okay we got it we got right it, yeah we fixed this little thing we fixed this little thing here and then within the first week i would say we were 90 percent done with any kind of small tweaks issues here and there the next pad we go to it was a 72 it was actually i think 71 hour mob um we shoot for in our contract, 72 hours. Um, the past fleet before that has done it in 28 to 42 hours. Um, obviously, it depends if you're moving from one side of the basin to the other yeah, side, right, right down the road. Um, but it did mob in uh, in the 70 to 72 hours. We've moved it um, twice since, and we've been in that same 70 to 72 hours. 
as anything that will improve as we yeah. move and move and move. Um, and you're right. You know, when you start thinking about when you start thinking about the the mob side is not you're not moving a lot of iron because it's all pre-made and it's super easy to move. But there are wires that are that are on location yeah. and they're very heavy. I think they're about seven pounds a foot. So wow. they do have these little um, these little kind of mini tractors. Yeah, I saw them. To help pick it up, pick right? Up. So we avoid yeah. anybody picking this stuff up. Um, that will get better and better and better. Um, yeah, there's absolutely. trays and racks that this stuff automatically kind of spools up on. Um, again, it's like anything. is The more you do it, the faster, Economies cheaper, scale, efficient, yeah. safer you get. So the, the dumb, dumb guy. guy in me, I like saying that. The <laughs> dumb guy in me says you've moved this thing a lot more than I would have guessed given we just left three or four weeks ago right. off location. Um, talk to me about the efficiencies because it seems like you're actually either – getting work done faster or maybe maybe faster than I thought you would or talk to us a little bit how that's playing out because it seems yeah. like you've moved more than I would have guessed you would have yeah um so earlier we we had discussed around the the past crew was probably hitting around 14 to 15 hours uh, a day of pumping time where this one is 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 uh hitting 16 to 18 to 19 hours very consistently wow um so what that what that's equivalent to is is that the consumption of the wells has sped up by two to three days per pad um and when you start focusing on your your budget and your forecast of of those numbers um we had already had a second crew coming in to take care of work to make sure we're maximizing production within that basin um, the last week we went ahead and actually moved those wells into that frack schedule for that fleet um, with, with high confidence that the fleet can just handle the output of the three drilling rigs in the northeast, oh, wow. which is great, right? Because that's, yeah. that's you are now um, spending the money the best way possible through capital Most efficiency efficient. with yeah. one fleet. Sean yeah. mentioned uh, when he was giving me the debrief on his outing to Appalachia that y'all yeah. had a bunch of different sand you were looking at sand and uh, discussing sand in a different way than what other people have been saying whether it's right. wet or dry and the, that whole process and some of the other things you guys are doing yeah uh, on the well site to improve things yeah thank you for asking um it's it's really interesting and and uh it's really cool uh actually at the end of the day Oventive uh was the company that that we noticed was doing this and they were super helpful in letting us come out to site in Oklahoma uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. And um, we happened to own a sand mine that we bought through the Wild Horse um, acquisition mm. in 2019. Um, so that gave us the perfect running ground to say, hey, we can perfect this with our own mine yeah. and, and truly learn the lesson and, and control our destiny with it. And, and that's exactly what we did. So we had we had eight wells that came that were scheduled to be fracked in Burleson Valley, uh, BV, uh, Brazos Valley uh, Basin, uh, which is near College Station, uh, Caldwell, Texas. And what we did is we uh, we asked our engineering team uh, and our logistics team to to hey, how do we solve this? And it's like anything. If you saw it, you're like, this is so easy. Yeah. And 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 really, what it is, and, and we probably. We should have done a better job in not calling it wet sand because it's not it's not wet. If you if you saw it and you picked it up with your hand, you're like, this is barely damp. Yeah. It's really a four to five percent moisture content versus zero. Right. Right. So when you think about that, 
um, the the differential is is that you are now sending sand through a burner, which is burning a ton of natural gas to, dry to heat and right. dry the sand. Mm-hmm. You then put it in a truck, and then you drive it to location, and then you put it in the blender, which is obviously wet, and you're wetting it, right? right? So it's like, why are we doing this? This is yeah, this doesn't yeah. make sense. And fortunately enough, the sand mine in our in the work in that basin in Brasses Valley is a it's like a max of thirty miles, right? Right. So if and we were paying for the gas and the energy and the time to and the people to move the sand multiple times to get it to be dry. So we said, okay, we figured out because Inventive was so awesome to show us, you know, basically how how it works. Here's some lessons learned. So um, we basically, we altered the, um, the material that the wet sand, call it d- uh, damp from now on, it's probably the best, damp, right. um, how it moves through the equipment. And basically, um, it's a high density like polymer you'd buy at Lowe's, right? The white stuff you'd see, you buy for like a countertop system, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Um, because it's high density, doesn't have any um, pore plates or any kind of edges or ledges on it. So the sand just slides right across it. That's the key. Um, and then you have to uh, you have to change your blender. Uh, you basically take the the um, the paddle out of it, and then you if you need to you can alter the size with that same polymer uh, plastic. And what'll happen is the sand now doesn't have any resistance, and it'll just slide right in. Hmm. And then we worked with um, a great great uh, partner of ours called Philomar. Um, the CEO has been fantastic. He's uh, he's going to be a long-term partner of ours, uh, and really respect him and what he's doing for Chesapeake. Um, he is um, he's our wet sand logistics company basically, and they've got vibration uh, tools so that way if needed and we need to vibrate it, it can help get the sand out if the high if the content of moisture is much higher. Okay. Right. So regardless if it's 10%, you can get it out. Got it. Okay. And then I think a lot of people would assume that, well, you're carrying fluid, so that's going to hinder your weight. Weight. It doesn't. The 4% to 5%, even 6-10%, if you're short driving it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, The cost of the sand uh, to manufacture can be 15% cheaper. 15? 15%. Okay. Because it's the energy, the time, uh, the people to take that sand and dry it. You gotta put it in a silo, right? This yeah. this sand doesn't hit silos. You don't need the equipment. I mean, it's it truly significantly changes the game. So at the end of the day, if you're going to, if you're gonna be the most efficient operator, you, you're gonna wanna have the sand plant in your backyard as close as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be basically a po' boy sand plant that is washing the sand to get the clays and, and some of the fines out. And then you stack it up and you decant it, right? You get the water, you make your water system underneath it where the water can be taken away. And then you scoop it up, you put it in a, in a screen system that conveys it into the back of the truck, in the boxes, you take it to the location, you pump it. Yeah, so there's no drying, essentially. Mm-hmm. You're taking out the drying. That's amazing. It's faster. Maybe um, talk to us a little bit. We're getting close to, to our close here, but talk to us a little bit about compass manufacturing. I know we've been talking about e-fleets electric on location but you you and i talked a little bit when we were in pennsylvania about compression and electric compression right maybe talk to us about your investment in compass manufacturing and then i also want to hear you caught my attention in the car on the drive i think home one day 
uh, about the sand logistics and CNG trucks. Yeah, so sure. Maybe hit those two at the end here. Yeah. Uh, before we close. So let's let's hit the CNG trucks on the sand side. So this the same company I just mentioned and others that are in the Northeast that have been fantastic to work with. What's interesting is that as Chesapeake continues to be a an influence on ESG and very aware of our operations and how we can improve. Um, other other service providers that work hand in hand with us are doing the same thing, right? So we've had them approach us and go, "Hey, what if we buy CNG trucks, tractors to move the sand? Because these these trucks don't ever turn off at the end of the day, right? right. And they constantly go up and down the road, and it's a twenty percent emissions reduction off logistics trucking." just based off of a CNG conversion or buying a truck. So um, our great partner in Northeast, I think they've got line of sight for seven of them that will be servicing uh, our Appalachia e-fleet, hmm. as well as our partner in uh, in Haynesville just uh, called me yesterday and he bought two trucks uh, this week. Um, okay. So those will start to be in service uh, and providing service for us. Now the next step is, is that we're working with our marketing team is how do we set, how do we provide you compressed gas that we are that we're using for our e-fleet to now power your cng trucks right okay so you don't have to go to the store or go to somewhere other location just we'll have a central area or a central pad or, or we can move it and we we can sell it to you for cheap oh wow and you're filling up and and now you're you're driving shorter routes right because hmm. that's the name of the game yeah. in, in the frack world with the logistics how do you have less trucks shorter routes well just when we thought we couldn't get more efficient it seems right. like you're finding more efficiencies uh and then maybe the last one just hit compass and yeah, manufacturing compass. the the compression and e-compression and sure what does that mean um e-compression man it's uh it's it's really taken hold um chesapeake does not uh operate in the permian basin at the time and um if you think about e-compression the the main driver and the in the biggest win that I can tell from my perspective is is that electricity is a lot cheaper in the Permian Basin as well as they have a fantastic in infrastructure, infrastructure right yep. so you've got it you've got low low power um, you've got a lot of great big companies over there that can make a huge impact on ESG with with changing um, your standard combustion out and moving to these e compression um, so that gets us to Compass. Compass is a company that is owned by Chesapeake and it has for, for quite a long time. And they currently, they actually were built to build compression for Chesapeake um, since probably in the last, call it five or six years, um, we have, um, as the need for compression has slowed down, um, we have morphed that manufacturing into the, the company that provides most of our production equipment, okay, for for our assets, hmm. and um, so we we were sitting with the, the leadership of Compass, and it's like, hey, this e-compression thing is starting to take take some more ground, and I guess in 2015 we used to build e-compression uh, for multiple companies. Um, we actually already have nine units in South Texas that that uh, Chesapeake runs. And uh, and looking to to build, we're building four more right now, and for ourselves, uh, 200 horsepower. Um, we also have line of south line of sight for Brazos Valley uh, to build. We are currently building an emissions-free pad. Okay, 100% hmm. emissions-free pad. 
and we're doing these things to be able to we can all sit and talk the talk and we can all say well i think that works it doesn't work until you build it and you can actually see the value and the true cost and and what it takes you can't really have an opinion if it, it's successful right right um will it cost a little bit of money yes everything that usually ends up being super successful requires somebody to take a step forward yeah. put a little capital in and understand what are we getting out of this is this the future is this the way and if it is the way that we go as an industry we're one step ahead of everybody because yeah. we've already got it we've got the ability to build e-compression ourselves. we control our own cost um, we are offering e-compression to other operators we're offering production equipment to other operators currently uh, and really uh, that's another reason I'm in Houston uh, today and tomorrow is to right. have those conversations well so. um, thank you yeah, so much Patrick for coming in I mean look clearly Chesapeake there's others that are using electric frack but when I think about the holistic approach that you guys are taking to partnering with your providers on especially on the service side yeah. like Halliburton or Voltagrid or others and the approach you're taking to kind of solve the ESG equation right. uh, is truly amazing. And I think we're going to see this industry, I think we're, we're all seeing this industry kind of head that direction. Um, I think Daniel Energy Partners, we've been talking a lot about electric frack. We've been talking a lot about Tier 4 DGP. Yep. We definitely think there's a bifurcation in the frack market happening. Uh, you're either going to be a Tier 4 DGB provider or an electric provider. And Agreed. if you're not, you're probably not going to be doing this. for. A, I mean, it's not that you'll go away completely, in my opinion, but I think it's one of those things where you're, you, it's like the land rig market, right? You had the bifurcation of, of land yep. rigs, essentially. And I think we're going to see that um, in electric, uh, electric frack and Tier 4 DGB frack. So, Really appreciate the time. Yeah, Can't absolutely. thank you enough uh, for coming in, and uh, the best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed being here. All right. Take care. Thanks you for too. taking thank dumb you. guy on the tour. <laughs>